Netflix from the very beginning was meant to be the downfall of cable. It was just eight bucks a month for a massive selection of movies and TV shows. Back then, Netflix wasn't just the king of streaming, they were practically unchallenged. Cable slowly started to seem obsolete while Netflix produced hit after hit, The Crown, Black Mirror, Russian Doll, and Bojack Horseman, just to name a few. There was something for everyone, and better yet, you could share it with everyone too. In fact, back in 17, Netflix said that love was sharing a password. They knew that partners, friends, and families shared passwords freely. Like, people went on Quora asking if it was okay if their partner's ex was still on their Netflix account, and how often passwords floated around. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the joke that there are only a handful of Netflix passwords out there and we're just all sharing accounts. And Netflix was cool with this. They were fine about password sharing, and judging from that tweet about love, they actually encouraged it. So what the hell happened? Basically, they got competition. It's not as simple as Netflix sucks and there are no more good shows, but a combination of policy changes, rival companies stepping up, and the audience being discouraged to see their once beloved programs die. Unfortunately, there are some pretty concerning missteps they've taken along the way too, like supposedly rigging game shows and putting contestants' lives at risk during the process. It's time to take a look at what really went wrong with Netflix. If you've been watching Netflix on a friend or family member's device, you may no longer be able to do Netflix so. getting set to enforce the strict limitations on whether you can share your account. There was a time where I could never imagine a world without Netflix. Like over the last few years, it feels like they've gone from the king of streaming to honestly replaceable. Hello and welcome to the Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be tackling the father of streaming itself, Netflix. You've probably heard bits and pieces about their incoming downfall, the outage, the plummet of subscriptions, and yada, yada, yada. And for many of us, this feels personal. Philip DeFranco said in early February that for him, Netflix wasn't really some faceless corporation. Instead, seeing them fail was like seeing a friend fail. When he spoke of canceling his subscription, he said he might do it purely on the principle of their decisions surrounding password restrictions. And I think a lot of us can relate. How many of you heard your parents complaining about a skyrocketing cable bill when you were younger? Maybe when you moved out on your own for the first time, you sat on your bed, bored, and really wanted a movie night. A good old movie night with popcorn or some takeout. And then you discovered Netflix. And for a while, it felt like it was the only way to be in the know about exciting TV programs with friends and coworkers without paying big bucks for cable. Plus, there's a benefit of binging. Even if it has a negative connotation, we all need a lazy weekend sometimes, right? And if you have a trusted friend that you wanted to watch a program with, that was no problem either. You could just give them your password and watch it together. Then, you know, of course, hope they didn't give it to their friends who would undoubtedly ruin your recommended list. As dated as it may sound saying this, those were the good old days of Netflix and streaming. Plus, as Phil says, it's not just the fact that Netflix is restricting password sharing that bothers people, it's how they've gone about it. It's the principle of the thing. Only last year, Netflix announced yet another subscription hike on top of now claiming that extra member fees will apply to those who want sub accounts and account sharing. Raising the price a bit is pretty normal and standard as inflation continues to skyrocket but to raise the prices and add fees for sub accounts, most likely about $7.50 per month, does feel pretty money grabby. 
These fees have already been put in place for Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru, and Netflix stated this past January that it would likely take months for the new plan to roll out worldwide. Bit frustrating, right? Well, what's all the more frustrating is when Netflix accidentally posted said guidelines on their help page. Basically, this pissed people off because it felt like the looming possibility of paid sharing became all the more real. Plus, some of these guidelines entail things like households having to log into their home accounts at least once every 31 days, or the account risks the possibility of being blocked. Like what if you're moving or vacationing? What if you just forget? Well, too bad, so sad, apparently. People are calling this a terrible mistake and killing the golden goose in a variety of online op-eds, leaving plenty to wonder if this move is actually going to make Netflix money in the long run, like they're clearly counting on, or if it will only make people infuriated past the point of forgiveness. Right now, since we're in the middle of the whole thing, it's definitely looking like the latter. As of writing this, Netflix is getting mocked left and right for that old love is sharing password tweet, which I'm sure they're regretting right about now. Users have commented and tweeted, quote, I've had Netflix for 13 years, genuinely going to cancel over this. My sister and I share an account. Does it really matter that we don't live together? It's still two people using it either way. Awful, commented one person. This policy comes with an assumption that there is a commonly understood universal meaning of household and that software can determine who is and is not a member, remarked another. Even Olympian Simone Biles said she might quit purely because she's lazy and hates re-entering her password. And if Simone Biles is, you know, to quote, lazy as she puts it, then I must be a downright potato because I don't know who would have the energy to enter their password. And honestly, that 30 day thing, I honestly, I just wouldn't log in anymore, like being honest. So I guess I'm kind of in Simone Biles camp on this one. Like I just, if I have to enter the password every 30 days, I'll just go to a different service because that's just really annoying. And sure, the argument could be made that this is just temporary outrage and no one's really going to cancel their Netflix subscription. Besides, those of us in the US don't know for sure if this will really come to pass, and if it does, how it would work. This is only what they've accidentally posted and what's being tested in other countries. They've got too much selection, and if you don't care about Wednesday season two, then maybe you'll care about Stranger Things season five or sad crying to the free churro episode of BoJack Horseman again, if you know you know. But this doesn't seem to be the kind of outrage that goes away after three days either. Instead, Netflix is digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole with this password sharing ban debacle. And it's not the only negative thing people have to say about them either. Another reason people have been furious at Netflix is that they seem to cancel all the good shows while leaving the same basic programs multiple seasons. Big Mouth is sitting here with a seventh season coming up. I literally know nobody that watches that. Not a single person. I could use the My mom and I have this great arrangement going where I'm gay and neither of us talk about it. And this it. is while the Warrior Nun, the OA, I'm Not Okay With This, and Teenage Bounty Hunters were all canceled, sometimes after just one season. Ugh, you're still doing it wrong. You have to go into the room, look around, see if it's clear, and then yell clear. To some extent, this is absolutely due to viewership, budget, and the typical things we have to expect from a streaming service. They're not going to keep shows going just because they're a small core loyal audience there. It has to make money. And at the end of the day, Netflix is a business. Still, when they do kill off beloved programs and keep pouring money into the same things, it does feel like their variety and catalog have gone downhill a bit. And some of this is purely due to competition. When Netflix first emerged, they were practically the only viable option in the streaming space. 
It wasn't so long ago when it seemed like your only two options were Netflix and Hulu. Maybe you'd have Hulu for Handmaid's Tale or a few other of their exclusives, but it felt like that like Netflix was kind of like the king by a lot. As The Guardian puts it, they were the total package, even having the office and cinematic events like Bird Box in their roster. Now, not so much. Why would Netflix have Paramount titles when Paramount has their own platform, Paramount Plus, right? And NBC took back The Office, HBO Max took back Friends, and Disney is, you know, Disney. They've got Marvel, Star Wars, and Disney classics in their catalog. And Prime Video isn't all that bad either. It comes free with Prime shipping, and Amazon has plenty of money to dump into whatever they want. The Guardian writes that at this point, quote, Beyond a handful of titles, there isn't much keeping viewers tuned into Netflix besides Habit, which is pretty much where many of them were with cable before they cut the cord and downloaded the app. Netflix used to be cool, a true disruptor, but success has made it fat and dull with an outsized appetite for increasingly low calorie content. It's become the very thing it once disdained, just another expensive TV package. It's a pretty brutal review, but I think it's an accurate one. The only thing I'll disagree with here is the implication. The phrasing makes it sound like Netflix is completely blameless, the victim of competition. But the reality here is that Netflix itself seems absolutely unwilling to recognize this problem. Instead, they blame password sharing and the war in Ukraine as reasons for their downturn. And like, I'm sorry, what exactly? Like, this is where you lose me. Competition is healthy. All too often on this channel, giant corporations get away with murder because they're a monopoly and the only option in their industry. These emerging platforms should inspire Netflix to create better content, to push for unique beloved programs and to invest more into their talent. Sometimes they've done that, like with Stranger Things and Wednesday, and whether or not you love or hate the programs, there's absolutely no denying the success that they've had. But when they're quick to blame literally anything but themselves for their downturn, well, it's not exactly a good look to put it mildly. Like the people leaving aren't citing the war in Ukraine. They're not saying that your shows are depressing and they want to quit binge watching. Is Netflix even listening to its audience anymore? Because it really doesn't feel that way. They may be right that being selective about programming could result in fewer cancellations in the future. But so long as their password sharing and price hiking controversies continue, I'm not so sure. But let's take a look at something a little different for just a minute. Netflix has said that they want to be more selective, right? Well, what exactly are they selecting? The backlash began after the streaming giant released this movie poster showing 11-year-olds in crop tops. A couple of years ago, shorts. Netflix was in hot water for airing the movie Cuties. I don't know if you guys remember that drama, but it was an absolute shit show. As of writing this, yes, you can actually still see that movie on their platform too. The controversy came from the sexualization of young girls. Though Cuties was supposed to be critiquing this exact problem, it also partakes in this, zooming in on underage girls' butts and crotches. The actresses are only 13 years old too. And I get that it's a movie about objectification, but is there really no other way to get that point across other than by doing and literally feeding into the exact thing you're preaching against? D'Angelo Wallace had a great commentary video about this exact controversy, using the movie Precious as an example of how to advocate against exploitation and child mistreatment without putting a child in a dangerous position. There's plenty of ways to show that something is terrible without having people recreate that thing on camera in real life. You could film it like the movie Precious, which has a scene- He where even brings up the option that if the director was literally going around and asking kids about how they were objectified as dancers for research purposes, why not make a documentary? 
why not uplift their real stories? That might be even more impactful. But this is an old controversy. This horse has been beaten and dead. And while I play a necromancer in D&D, I am not one IRL. But surely after this backlash, Netflix would be more careful about how they treat victims, right? No, no, they wouldn't. One of their biggest series ever is about serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, and it is exploitative on a whole new level. The families of Dahmer's victims, such as the Isbell family, weren't even contacted. The show was re-traumatizing for them, and the program romanticizes a serial killer for fuck's sake. In fact, this controversy was so just blown up and all over the place that it ended up being one of the factors that pushed me to finally create the episode that I created, I think in like October called Stop Romanticizing Serial Killers. Now, I was already researching the topic to be fair, and I thought around Halloween would be a good time because that's usually an uptick in like true crime and people looking at serial killers and all of that jazz. So I was already looking at people that like these chronically online takes essentially where people are just like in love with serial killers. Like someone was in love with Robert Picton, the dude that literally like killed prostitutes and hung them on meat hooks, like really disturbing shit, like in love with him though. And then this Jeffrey Dahmer thing came out and people were like, well, like, you know, the actor that plays him is kind of cute. So like, we, we have no choice but to stand. And I'm like, no, no, we do not stand. We do not stand murderers. Don't do it. Stop it. What's that meme? Get some help. Like, seriously, though. What do you do in there? The smells. And to be clear here, this isn't just a Netflix problem. The true crime genre as a whole does have some serious issues with romanticizing and glorifying killers. But what infuriates me in particular is how Netflix specifically stated they were going to be more selective, yet they consistently choose to make another Dahmer documentary and air it, and, you know, pretty damn recently. Like, the story is not new. It is not untold. They didn't uplift any victims' voices. They didn't do anything. It's literally just like Cuties 2.0, just with serial killers instead of pedophiles. Despite all of this and my tangent, CNET still calls some of the true crime documentaries on Netflix masterpieces and argues that they've got some of the best true crime catalogs out there. One program, Who Killed Little Gregory, focuses on how horribly Gregory's parents were treated and the way the French media covered the crime. Its commentary was not only valuable, but quote, elevated by the delicate manner in which it explores the limits of media encroachment and the impact of sexism on reporting. We need more shows like this, if I'm gonna be frank. True crime is not only oversaturated, but oversensationalized, and it even crosses lines into trauma porn all too often. So which is it, Netflix? Do you know how to tell important, sensitive stories in a meaningful way? Or is your selection based on what's going to earn you more money, regardless of how that deeply harms victims of these crimes or their families? Right now, I'd say, unfortunately, it's a bit of both, which is a downright shame. Maybe you'd argue that this is the director and the script, not Netflix itself, but Netflix is the platform, they're the promoter. And it's Netflix that chooses to walk the fine line of voyeurism of killers under the guise of trying to understand a monster when they portray murderers. Sometimes they're careful, and other times they play jump rope with that line and don't seem to give two shits about who they hurt in the process. Like, just for a bit of an example, and maybe obviously it's because I do this for a living, but 
When we start looking and researching episodes, right? And we're looking at what kind of topics to cover. We have kind of a fine line of things we can and can't cover, mainly because YouTube will demonetize a buttload of stuff. So I'd say up to like 30 to 40% of the time, like an episode is totally demonetized and like that's okay because I still think there's the principle of sharing that message. And sometimes I get sponsors, which is cool too, that obviously helps to offset bills and stuff like that because everyone's got to eat, right? But sometimes we don't have sponsors and when we don't have sponsors and we're pretty damn sure that YouTube is going to absolutely demonetize the video, we don't make any money on it, but we all did the work into it, right? We made the video, we edited it, we researched it, we did all these things and we still have bills to pay. We can't just pay our landlords with like uh, one YouTube video, please. And they go, wow, this is really cool content, but it still didn't pay the rent. The point to this little tangent, this little roundabout here is that you can choose to focus on what's going to make money and money alone. And I get that, right? There are certain topics that I know that one people have requested that we cover and I go, oh, people are gonna really love that. And then there's some topics that we present that I go, I think this is really important to talk about. And I either know that it's going to be A, demonetized, which is most likely the problem, or B, not a ton of people might be interested in it, but I still think it's a very important topic to share all the same. Netflix doesn't share that philosophy and you know they make a fuck ton more money than I do. So maybe they're doing something right, but it doesn't change my process, I guess. I just trying to share some insight. Now, at other times with Netflix, they haven't just presented questionable content, but they've actually seemed to have gone out of their way to prove their own theories right, letting bias get the best of them. In Making a Murderer, another one of their incredibly well-known programs, Netflix filmmakers were accused of deciding Avery was innocent and creating their program to prove it, not actually seeking the truth as they claimed. Catherine Schulz, writing for The New Yorker said, Making a murderer consistently leads its viewers to the conclusion that Avery was framed by the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department, and it contains striking allegiance that bolster that theory. The filmmakers minimize or leave out many aspects of Avery's less than savory past, including multiple alleged incidents of physical and sexual violence. They also omit important evidence against him. Does this mean that Avery is guilty? No, it doesn't. But it may mean that Netflix just isn't presenting both sides of the story to their viewers. They're a huge streaming service with a ton of true crime titles, but it's hard to know what you can trust when there's bias and exploitation to sift through as well. Hannah, I'm not going, not now, not ever. Why didn't you say this to me when I was alive? Plenty of other titles have had controversies too. My husband and I- 13 Reasons Why was edited a few years ago because of an incredibly graphic scene where a character took her own life. It may have contributed to teens mimicking this behavior as the program seemed to glorify the act. According to The Guardian, it's basically taken truly horrific teenage issues and pain and turned them into a melodramatic soap opera. There are way too many controversies around this program to list if I'm being honest. And as the show is based on a book, it's hard for me to say definitively how much is just the content versus Netflix interpretation of it. Regardless, I think it's pretty damn safe to say that if teens are literally copying away a character from the show ends their life, then Netflix may be fucked up by airing it in the first place. Plus, if they had actually bothered to do any research, then they would have known better than to show such a graphic depiction because literally everyone that studies suicide warns against doing so. Now, to be clear, this isn't about loving or hating a program. I don't really care if Big Mouth is your favorite show in the entire world, 
though if it is maybe let me know because like like I said I don't know anybody that watches it I tried watching it I thought it was an absolutely horrific show please state your defense but truthfully I don't care if you like that show if you binge true crime on the weekends or if you're re-watching the Sandman for the third time you do you but when Netflix claims to be selective and mishandles true crime and real, exploitative, dangerous topics with barely a shred of sensitivity, then yes, I'm going to question how selective they really are. But let's move on. We talked about what they show on screen, but what happens behind the curtain? And before we pull back that curtain to see who's actually pulling the levers and pushing the buttons back there, I'm gonna take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. Make mealtime easy with delicious recipes made with fresh, wholesome ingredients delivered to your door. No lines, no hassle. Just great tasting meals that you can whip up and enjoy in the comfort of your home. All thanks to HelloFresh. March is National Nutrition Month and HelloFresh makes it easy to choose delicious dietitian approved meals. Simply look for the dietitian win tag on their menu choices for meals that are under 700 calories and with one third less sodium. And HelloFresh has over 40 weekly recipes to choose from for all meal occasions, lifestyles, and preferences. You can take your pick from meals like soy glazed salmon with rice or mushroom and chive risotto. Recently, I've been back on a vegetarian kick again. I don't like consciously choose to be vegetarian or not. It's just sometimes it just tastes better, feels better, whatever, I go through swings. And HelloFresh has got me covered with that. And for next week's box, I'm getting one pan cheesy black bean tacos. I'm getting lemony spaghetti with Brussels sprouts and Greek goddess quinoa bowls. And I'm very excited to try all of them. So if you're ready to get cooking this year, make sure you go to hellofresh.com casket60 and use code casket60 for 60% off plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com casket60 and use code casket60 for 60% off plus free shipping. Equality. Everyone is equal while they play this game. Squid game. Recently, just as the controversy around password sharing grows, the Rolling Stone released a report about Netflix's Squid Game reality program. Squid Game, if you didn't know, is a South Korean thriller about a group of 456 people living in poverty who compete in deadly challenges to win a shit ton of prize money. As it's so dark and does comment on wealth inequality, it feels a little icky to turn this into a reality program in the first place. But as long as no one's actually getting hurt, that's the important part, right? As it turns out, the reality show may be more like Squid Game than originally intended. One former contestant told the Rolling Stone it was the cruelest, meanest thing they'd ever been through, saying, quote, "'We were a human horse race, "'and they were treating us like horses "'out in the cold racing, and the race was fixed.'" Another former player said, all the torment and trauma we experienced wasn't due to the game or the rigor of the game. It was the incompetencies of scale. They bit off more than they could chew. Apparently the red light, green light game that takes place in the original series was filmed in a freezing airport hangar. Contestants said they had to spend up to nine hours in these cold conditions, unable to move for 30 minute stretches. And while I obviously cannot confirm or deny this, it does sound feasible to me. Like, just think about it for a minute, add some context here and just some common sense, right? Directors probably want consistency in their shots. So once it's red light, no one would be able to move from their spot as the camera crew gets different angles, close-ups, and whatnot of other contestants. And if it's cold, then yeah, standing in place for that long sounds absolutely awful, dangerous, and plausible. 
Another contestant said they were dressed in two thermal layers, two pairs of socks and their Squid Game tracksuit, and it wasn't enough to keep them warm, and they were shaking like they were on top of Mount Everest. 10 people allegedly collapsed, medics having to carry them away after people convulsed on the ground. You'd think that with a program like this, medics would be close by, but it supposedly took ages for medics to reach players and people in pink jumpsuits carrying black coffins, like in the program, would position themselves to block medics from view. What a morbid, disturbing joke of a program if this is true, honestly. Now, as for the show being rigged, that also sounds feasible when you consider that some of the contestants are supposedly TikTok and Instagram influencers. Of course, Netflix would want social media stars in the game. It means they can draw off that audience and they've got ready-made characters people can root for more or less. Those influencers being immune, fully mic'd, having rules bent to suit their storyline and being put back into the game after being eliminated. Yeah, that doesn't sound super unrealistic. Said contestants were allegedly pre-selected to move on too and they had more time added to the red light, green light clock, while other unselected contestants were eliminated before time was even up. Again, this is not me saying, yeah, this definitely took place. I just wouldn't be surprised if it did. The co-producer, Studio Lambert, is also behind Naked Attraction, The Circle, and The Traders, and they faced claims of inhumane conditions before, so it's not as if this is a brand new surprising revelation either. What I would like you to really think about is how far you're gonna make it in this game. You've sussed each other out. Do you secretly What makes this so upsetting for me, and I'm sure many others that have read this article, is the fact that it's fucking Squid Game. Like, the program that's literally about taking advantage of others, exploiting their need, and pinning them against one another. Even in that fictional program, the games are fair. You move, you die, bam, it's that simple. Do I think that's like a good way to play a game that if you move at the wrong time, you die? No, but like that's the game in this fictional scenario. Then there's like one instance of cheating that takes place, but it's not inherently baked into the game itself. Here in this reality show, things are made less real than a fictional TV program. And I find that a little bit funny and a lot of disappointing. It's way, way too soon to know for sure what happened here. But if Netflix is really offering $4.56 million under false pretenses and multiple people sue them for it, then they could really be in some deep shit. Again, though, I doubt this would be the final nail in their coffin, that coffin being carried away by a masked pink figure, of course, but it doesn't look good, nor is it their only lawsuit either. As I was doing research for this episode, I came across an interesting lawsuit against Netflix that I actually wasn't already aware of. Apparently back in 2006, Netflix had a $1 million contest. They gave 50,000 customers a bunch of giant data sets, such as their reviews and ID numbers, and told customers to come up with a recommendation algorithm that could predict 10% better than Netflix how those subscribers would rate movies. Now, right out the gate, there's a lot wrong with this. First of all, too lazy to do your own work there, Netflix? You've already got to outsource to your customers with each one hoping that there's an off chance that they'll be overcompensated as the rest work for free? Secondly, that information's meant to be private. Customers don't want their viewing habits released to the world and for very good reason. One Ohio woman said that the information collected could be used to out her as a closeted lesbian as researchers from the University of Texas were able to identify several Netflix customers and make educated guesses about their politics and sexual orientation. People may have a number of reasons to stay in the closet, safety usually being the most important one. How horrible would it be if, based on how you watch Netflix shows, your deepest secret was released to the public and put you in danger? That shouldn't have to be someone's fear. 
knowing this, I'm not really sure I'll ever be able to look at Netflix's recommended page the same way, at the very least, given that it was allegedly built on flagrantly violating the privacy policies of others. This isn't just wrong or violating Netflix's own policy either, but the law itself. The VPPA, or Video Privacy Protection Act, was passed after a video rental data leak in the 1980s. Apparently, a reporter from Washington City Paper just went down to a video store and asked about a Supreme Court member, Robert Bork's rental history. He got that information and wrote an article about it called The Bork Tapes with the subheading, Never mind his writings on Roe v. Wade, the inner workings of Robert Bork's mind are revealed by the videos he rents. And I know this is a serious topic, but his last name is Bork, and all I keep thinking is Borking, like Casper Borking, and I'm like, Bork, Bork, Bork. Anyway, given that Netflix had data from about half a million customers in use for this contest, and a fine for each violation is over $2,000, they could have faced a $1 billion fine if this went through. Assuming my math is correct, so feel free to double check me. Math has never been my strong suit. Back in 2009, this could have absolutely killed them. It truly could have. Instead, they dropped the contest idea in the wake of the lawsuit and an FTC investigation. They settled with undisclosed terms, the investigation was dropped, and they seem to have put the past behind them. Well, mostly behind them anyway. Netflix has its fair share of issues, there's no doubt about that. And don't even get me started on the comedy stuff and the Dave Chappelle thing. It's a whole other can of worms. I'm thinking about separating that into a separate topic, which is why I didn't really talk about it in depth here today. I don't agree with how they're running things now, but at least there's still like a little bit of hope that maybe they can fix it. After all, stranger things have happened, right? Ah, yeah, it's a bad pun. That's how we're ending today's episode. That's right, I'll see myself out. But seriously though, that is is where we're ending today's episode. Thank you so much for watching all the way to the end. I really do appreciate it. That is the end of today's corporate casket. If you learned something new today, please make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you want to catch up with me outside of these episodes, perhaps on Thursday evenings, I believe that's tomorrow evening on my second channel, Illuminati. Links are in my link tree description in the description box. You can go ahead and watch me do a live little political laid back podcast with some amazing folks. It's a great weekly panel show, a little more laid back, a little more easygoing, a little more casual, and we do a lot of interacting with the audience. So feel free to stop by. And of course, you'll get to see my Pyramid VTuber if you do. But hey, yeah, with all of that being said, it's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Direction the stock is already going. And it's not impossible for Netflix to have a really good earnings report. It's an analyst at UBS covering the stock, talking about the possibility of a a re-acceleration in subscriber growth. So in the third quarter, uh, the company has 2.1 million.